Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Based on everything you've been hearing for the last weeks, months, about the green belt and about this and about that and about the other, uh, you will know for a fact then that the premier, the Doug Ford's polling numbers are probably taking a pounding right now and that he is quite unpopular and his government is unpopular and the other gov- the other parties are probably champing at the bit to you know hurry up the days till we could have an election because the gap has closed or he is falling behind well you may be very surprised by some new numbers from a poll by abacus data that came out last week not only is Doug Ford holding his ground, but he basically the numbers have not moved since the last election. He and his government are by far the most popular political group in this province. David Coletto is the chair and CEO of Abacus joins us now. David, thank you for doing this. My pleasure, Scott. Good to be here. Were you surprised by this? Because I think a lot of people are going to say, wait a second, how is that even possible? I guess to some extent, right? Given the the uh, the nature of the story about uh, the premier's daughter's stag and and the wedding and developers, and then you know opening up the green belt itself isn't that popular an idea. You, you would expect to think that it would have some effect on uh, the premier's personal image, and then as you said, the support for the progressive conservatives. But that is not the case at all. Um, And what we find is that if an election were held at the time we did this survey, which was beginning of March, the Tories would likely win the same share of the vote that they did in June of 2022. And and the Premier's personal image uh, has actually improved slightly since the last time we asked about it, which was in November at the height of the, the, the education workers' sort of labor, labor dispute. So another, yeah, another um, issue. Yeah. Yeah. All indications, at least right now, are that this issue is is not necessarily breaking through. And if it is, um, it's really those who didn't like Doug Ford to begin with, who are the most upset and everybody else is saying, that's not enough for me to, to change my support. There's so many things here that I want to ask. So one of them is, see, normally I would say, okay, these are not issues, <clears throat> excuse me, these are not issues that necessarily are resonating and therefore you know they're minor things but it's impossible to escape the coverage the social media the discussion it's it it would be almost impossible to be able to say these numbers exist now because of a lack of awareness or because people aren't aware of these stories they are very much aware correct right seven in ten ontarians say they at least have heard about this the story and we asked specifically about you know the ford family stag and doe and the wedding reception that has been really the focus of, 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 you know, questions about conflict of interest and whether it's appropriate and, and, and or, or perhaps corrupt, whatever, however uh, perspective you take on it. So seven in 10 are, are aware of it. So that means 30% of Ontarians didn't even know about the story before I asked about it. But the, the most important number is, is those who say they're following it closely. And that only comes to about one in four Ontarians. So there are some people following the story closely but when you dig deep into the numbers, those who are following it more closely tend to um, be, you know, people who who don't like Doug Ford, as I said in the first place. So there's awareness, but um, it's competing with other issues, uh, China interference in elections, um, people still really worried about rising interest rates and cost of living and all those other issues that uh, it's led um, at least those who voted for the PCs in 2022 
to to assess it and say, well, I don't think it's enough, as I said, to to change my vote. And perhaps there's no other alternative right now to Doug Ford in their minds. Well, and, and that's a uh, th- that's certainly part of the issue here, I assume, is the liberals are still waiting to find a leader and the NDP just have a new leader who may not be all that well known just yet. That m- may be in time that that becomes a factor and that changes. It, it is certainly like I would say politics, particularly around an election, is is a choice. It's it's choosing off the menu that you're given. And right now, the liberals are leaderless. And uh, as our polls showed, most people don't know who uh, Marit Stiles, the new NDP leader, is. So Doug Ford's very much alone in, in this conversation. And there is no election anytime soon. So the other side of it is Ontarians aren't necessarily having to choose. But, you know, when we ask the question, you know, if an election world today, who would you vote for? It's a good indicator to the relative popularity or not of of any given party at a time. And, you know, despite Doug Ford uh, being under pressure and people um, not happy with a number of things he's done over the last, I would say, six to eight months, it hasn't uh, appeared to have any material impact on the progressive conservative support. Is this the now when I when I use the word, it's not a literal word because he never he he didn't get a majority of Ontarians. Um, but, well, he did, but not of the only of those who vote. Let me get to my point. I'm, I'm rambling here. It, is this the silent majority speaking? We always hear about that phrase that it's a silent majority. Is this a perfect example of, you know what, the people, many people, maybe the majority of people are just fine with things. And all we're hearing is the shouting of those who are really unhappy. But by and large, everyone's OK or most are OK. I, yeah, I, I don't know if it was. I would say it's a silent majority. I mean, the the progressive conservatives can usually count on about a third of the vote in Ontario, right? So if you take the forty one percent that our poll showed they had, uh, the vast majority of that that forty one percent are people who would, under ev- normal, uh, even under extreme circumstances, probably still cast a ballot for the progressive conservatives. But for that extra, you know, seven eight percent that the that Doug Ford has been able to. To, to win when he first was elected in 2018 and maintain in his re-election, uh, those folks haven't seen anything or heard anything or um, believe anything different that says Doug Ford isn't the best choice right now to be the premier. And and it, it appears the opposition parties and, and all the issues are going to have to do far more um, to, to break them away. And, and he still has uh, affinity with them and you know, even though in our survey, we asked people, you know, does learning about this story make you feel more positive or more negative about the premier? Far more people say, yeah, I don't like this story. I don't I don't think it's a good thing that this this might have happened. But uh, only 28 percent say they're much they have a much more negative view of them. And those are, again, people who typically vote NDP or or liberal. And And so I think it's it's more of one, this story hasn't got a lot of people talking and and therefore it hasn't really seeped into their their choices. But two is there's a whole bunch of other things going on. I, I, I love the word of the year of 2022 for the Collins Dictionary, which was permacrisis. And <laughs> yeah. in, as we're all living in this state of permacrisis from one problem to the next, um, an issue has to be damn salient, damn, uh, you know, impactful for it to, to really get our attention and for us to reconsider 
what we think about uh, both individual politicians and the parties that they represent. And I got to let you go. But even with that, I do wonder this this poll obviously was about Ontario politics. There's a lot going on in the last few days with federal politics. That's not what this poll was. But I wonder the same thing. I, I wonder if it's just those who are really interested, who don't like the government, who really through social media and other channels amplify this to make us believe that it's really catching on. I'll be very interested to see in a week or two, whether from your polling service or others, you know, for example, if the federal government is really feeling an impact from China or if we're only hearing the loudest voices. We just released a poll on on Friday on the federal political scene, and and it shows that, you know, nothing's really changed there, despite how much so attention there you go. The- the election interference by China has had on 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 federal politics, right? Like the, the vote is pretty much exactly what it was uh, before. I, I think what's important about the Ontario situation is 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 just frankly, uh, you know, the the, the level of competition uh, for people's attention is is high, and it's a constant reminder to any of your listeners who who actively use Twitter to get information or share their views. Twitter is not real life. Twitter is not representative <laughs> of the rest of the country. And while it's a useful tool, I, I'm on it all the time. I love it. Um, if you're using it to gauge public opinion, it's probably going to point you in the wrong direction. David, I don't know how good business is for you right now, but if you need to make an extra few hundred thousand dollars, print t-shirts with that or hats or coffee mugs. <laughs> Twitter is not real life. You can make a fortune with that one. I I, think yeah, I, might, I, might, I might do that, Scott. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, really appreciate David Coletto, chair and CEO of Abacus Data. Uh, really appreciate you taking time. Thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson is the guy who runs the Dundas Real McCoys who are in their playoffs right now and ComChoice Realty who are always in playoffs and um, innumerable other things in the Valley Town. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Scott? I'm good. I'm good. You guys are, uh, you you had one of your games canceled, right? Friday night was uh, snowed out. Uh Uh-huh. Although it seemed rather odd if you didn't live in Hamilton that it would be snowed out, but it was, the highways were a mess and we're going to. Play the Hamilton Steelers this Friday night. Okay. At home or where is it? We're going to play at JL Greitmeyer at 7.30 this Friday night. And the following Friday, we'll play Wentworth. There you go. Uh, the ongoing Allen Cup hockey playoffs and uh, moving to an, a conclusion eventually. Moving to a champion eventually. Yeah, we will. So you were a guy, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but um, back in your athletic heyday, and there was one, <laughs> You were an official and a pretty good official, as a matter of fact, I've heard anyway, at least, you know, an athletic official. Maybe I should put it that way. You could move around and, you know, whether you were a great official or not was, uh, I'm sure up to the coaches to interpret, but. I was called a lot of names. But you know what, in all, in all seriousness, you refed at a high level, you officiated a high level. So I'm going to, I never saw you, but I'm going to take that to mean that you were good enough at it to hold that position. So I want to ask you about this. You probably saw this last week, I think it was probably just after we had talked with the Toronto Raptors, Fred Van Vliet, the Raptors get, I think, understandably miffed at a few calls. I think some of the, you know, referees are people. And I think the referees honestly had a couple boneheaded calls, which happens in games. Uh, Fred Van Vliet of the Raptors goes completely off and, um, in an obscenity laden tirade, basically calls out the officials for making it personal and for being crappy, some of them at their job and says, you know, most of them are pretty good. Most of them work hard, but there's a few that are 
not. And it was as, it was as, what's the word I'm looking for? As raw an evisceration of an official, fair to say, as we've heard. It was like a trucker articulating <laughs> a bit of a speech. Yeah, but usually even the players who are mad will pull their punches a little bit. He pulled no punches. Yeah, I think he knew by the time he realized he was in deep, he figured today's the day. <laughs> I may as well earn my fine. Yeah, it's going to be expensive and I'm going to enjoy it. I'll get my money's worth. And people are going to like this. The, uh, yeah, no, I, and I think a lot of people did. However, as an official, one, one of the rules basically with every league is it is against the rules to publicly criticize officials. Two things. Should it be? Um, depending on how it's done, um, perhaps the way he did it would be considered inappropriate in most everywhere. And, but I think, you know, I don't think there's any harm in a coach being able to say, um, things, well, I've said this to officials from the bench saying, I bet you wish you had that one back, you know? And if you say that in an interview saying, I appreciate the fact that, they don't come over and yell at me when I don't have the right sentiment out and we lose a draw and it costs us a goal. They don't come and scream at me. I make mistakes, but we have to acknowledge that they make mistakes as well. So if it's well positioned and it's a clear error, then you're, you're foolish. I think the coaches lose credibility if they don't have the ability to at least talk about it. Now, if they're going to bash them on a regular basis, I don't, I think it's unfair, but officials do make mistakes and sometimes um, and, and I look at, uh, you know, when, when the real McCoys are playing and our guys get mad at the call, I generally have a pretty keen eye where the referee is. And I will say to him, guys, he was blocked out. Like mm -hmm. he did not see it. And, and that's going to happen because of the speed of the game in, in all sports. And you have to be careful, but I, I think they, the coaches should have the ability to a certain extent to articulate some of the things that they have concerns about. But if it's just blowing off steam because you got beat and some referees or some coaches want to use it as an excuse. And we don't do that. I find that unacceptable because there's lots of opportunities for us to have won the game in spite of whatever we thought was going on. But they should be able to have an intelligent conversation with the media after the game, perhaps not profanity-laced. Do you believe that officials hear it and it affects their performance when calling games up against that team in the future. Is Fred Van Vliet ever going to get a call from these guys? Yeah, he will. Um, he's going to have to play a long time, <laughs> but he'll, uh, yeah. he'll, uh, he'll get one. And, and, and that's an actual fact. It, it, so it depends on the fraternity, right? So if there are a number of officials in the NBA that kind of share Fred's uh, opinion of that official. Some of them might be saying, it's about time he got called out because he's making the rest of us look bad. But if an actual fact, he's very well respected and has lots of friends. Um, Fred Van Bleek will get calls, but he's likely going to have to get knocked out cold <laughs> yeah, to get right. one. No blood, no foul. Yeah. Did you, okay. So now the next one is, should officials be more often or at all, publicly critiqued by the league. If a ref makes a obvious blown call or does something that was, you know, goofy, generally, like in, in Major League Baseball, you don't hear about it 
if it's an umpire or something. I don't know about the other leagues um, as well. But should the leagues be more forthcoming to say our official blew it and he is now serving a suspension? If you can announce that the player is getting a suspension for something he did, should officials also be publicly pointed out when they miss a game because of a goof up? That's an interesting argument. I wish you hadn't asked me the question because I sit on the officiating committee for the Ontario Hockey Association. And um, there's a lot of former referees on that committee. There's only four of us, but um, it's interesting. I don't know. I do know that leagues will sit guys down. And I, I think you acknowledge that point. Yes. Your question but it's usually is, quiet. Should it, should they be outed? Should, should, um, Clarence Campbell have said we're, uh, Art Scope's going to miss the next two games because he's been just dreadful the last week. Even, even or not, if he missed a call, it's harder to miss calls with cameras everywhere. Yeah, even not that so much. I'm thinking more because, you know, there may be guys, I don't know, you don't know, there may be guys who miss a game because every league now has a grading, you know, Ron Foxcroft is involved with the NBA where you're grading to make sure that everything is on the up and up and, and then guys get playoff performances based on who's the highest graded. So that's good. I'm not talking about those. If there is a very public situation where, you know, like this referee who threw Van Vliet out for, or no, threw a Scotty Barnes out for, you know, maybe saying something, maybe not, we don't really know exactly. If it becomes a very public situation, should it be very publicly addressed? Let me suggest this. It would have been very interesting if the leagues actually did that. And a, a great conversation could have been had if the NBA had said, you know, uh, Fred isn't the only guy that was disappointed in the performance. He missed four or five calls and he's going to miss his next two assignments. But Fred, you're still getting fined because mm -hmm. we don't like your approach. That's, I think that's the question you're kind of asking. Would that be fair? And or I don't does it know. Or does it diminish the credibility of the officials? Because we have to believe that they are almost infallible. Yes, which they're not. No. I mean, not since Boxcroft and I stopped officiating. <laughs> but, um, but they're not. But I think one of the rationales would be is that if the, if the league publicly outs Scott Radley, for two games, what kind of a position does that put him when he goes into Colorado next week and makes a call and they're all over him saying, you're going to get another two game suspension. Right. So what kind of fuel does that add to the fire? Most uh, professional leagues, almost every league, I don't care if you're doing squirt hockey, which is under one years old or whatever they categorize <laughs> it now. Um, they, they really want the officials to go in and get out of the rink. And I was told by uh, Jack Clancy, a former fire captain in Hamilton, who was a supervisor and a great OHA referee. He says, Donnie boy, he said, if you can get in and out of the rink and they don't know who you are, be very proud of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking out of Paris Arena one night with the linesman and they said, uh, geez, the referees were invisible tonight, which is really the ultimate compliment. It means you didn't have a, uh, an outcome in the game. I don't hear that very often, by the way, but, but you know, it's always nice when that's the goal. Yep. So I don't think that the leagues in part of their process and thinking this want to bring attention to the officials any more than they already get. 
I don't know if you saw the clip that was on Twitter this week and other social media. It was of a university baseball game, an NCAA baseball game in the States. And a batter took a pitch that was, it looked to be not a very good pitch. And the umpire called it a strike. And the batter reacted rather obviously, um, sort of just jumped up like, you got to be kidding me. Apparently the umpire thought he was embarrassed by this. And so the next pitch, now there's two strikes and there's in the bottom of the ninth inning or bottom of the seventh, whatever they play in college. Anyway, um, the next pitch is about a foot and a half off the plate and barely off the ground and he punches him out and ends the game. That league though, publicly suspended that official, said this is not acceptable officiating within our league. It makes a mockery of the game. He will not be working again for X period of time. It's the divide. It's, it's, it's the difference between saying it's, that was not good enough for our standards and making it public. And as you say, m preventing a guy from getting completely harassed when he goes into an arena somewhere or a, you know, I mean, imagine in baseball, if Angel Hernandez, for example, who is everybody's favorite whipping boy official, imagine if major league baseball did something to him. And, and I'm, you know, devil's advocate, the abuse that that guy would take in his next game would be un unbelievable. That's the point I made. I know. And, and so it's, should they tell the teams <clears throat> then forget telling the public, should the teams be made, no, be told that guy blew it. And therefore he will be missing two games. Just so you know, we haven't gloss this over and we're not sweeping it under the rug. We don't want this public, but he has now been suspended. I have asked the uh, hockey uh, rulers in the past when there's been glaring errors and so on in a game and have, and I probably haven't done this 10 times in 40 years, but I call the office and the only sat satisfaction I've ever got from the guy in charge was, we understand your complaint and it'll be dealt with. And that was good enough for me. And I don't, I didn't ask what the result was. I just wanted um, to have some kind of acknowledgement that this is really wrong. Like referees can get, get rid of guys. You know, if there's a troublemaker out there in a game, and I don't think Fred Van Fleet is in this category, but I can tell you from personal experience, if some guy is just a pain in the neck, and you know he's going to punch a couple guys in the back of the head, and his team is down 7-1. Remember, I refereed in the 70s. <clears throat> there's, pretty, there's pretty interesting ways to have him say things to you that are inappropriate so you can have him thrown out of the game. Yeah, and, and you know, we got to take a break here. One of, the, one of the things about the situation with Van Vliet is I, I have immense... Um, sympathy for officials. When you talk about being blocked out, there's someone, there's a body between you and the thing, everyone else in the rink can see it. And you're the one person because someone's between you and the incident that you can't see it. I get that. And I, I, I have sympathy for that. So a missed call, I'm unlikely to say that referee should have to stand up in front of the public or take questions from reporters or whatever, because I get it. On the other hand, if you have time to make a decision to toss a guy out of a game or something where you have time to think it through and catch yourself, that to me is different. So I've come to a definitive conclusion on your question, and I don't think that the leagues should uh, out the officials. 
Okay. And the reason I've arrived at that is in part because I'm on the officiating committee, but has nothing to do with the embarrassment or accountability of the official. Every level of sport can't get enough officials right now. That's a valid point. And if kids start seeing the leagues outing them and saying Scott Radley is terrible and we're suspending him, we're never going to have enough officials. We haven't got enough officials for baseball, basketball, football, hockey, nothing because of parent abuse. Okay. One more then on this one. Should officials be made available to the media after a game? And I'll tell you why your initial reaction would be, well, no, they're just going to attack him. But for the very reason that we just talked about with being blocked out or whatever, I really believe that if an official goes up on the, on the podium and says, you know what, after the inter, in the intermission, I went into the room and I looked and I saw what everybody was screaming at. But in the moment I'm looking at you over here and it happened just to my left. And so it wasn't that I left it alone. Like I, I didn't see it or I was blocked or something. I, I think that would A, humanize and B, probably bring down some of the heat if the person says, I hear what you're saying. I saw the replay, but I was watching a slashing going on behind. And so the other guy, whatever, I, I think it might help. It might help. But the reason that the, I know we got to go, the, the reason the leagues probably won't do it is because they want the officials to be as anonymous as possible. That's why they took their names off the back. They just want them to be robots out there. No they more don't Bill want, Fridays. No more Bill Fridays. That's right. They, Bruce Hoods and uh, all kinds of characters, right? I mean, guys like Bobby Myers just went out and did the job and went home. Some guys thought that people were there to pay to see them play, and and most leagues are trying to get away from it. Who's the umpire? Ron Luciani. Yeah, Ron Luciano. And yep. wrote a great book. The and umpire he was, strikes back. He was a star. He was a star. And and major leagues don't want that, so that's why it only get it happen. It would be interesting, though. Uh, you know, funny thing though about Bob Myers. You're absolutely right. I mean, from everything I recall, just a guy who went out there and kept his head down and, well, it, not his head down, he was looking, but you know what I'm saying? Did it like without being flashy or whatever. And yet, is there an official who had a call that was his crew that wasn't even his that gets tagged onto a guy more than his too many men penalty on Don Cherry in the playoffs? Yep. You know how many guys they had in the ice? Seven. And they didn't even have six. They had seven. And it wasn't even Ron's call. He was the, he was the referee. No, it yeah. wasn't Myers' call. You know who called it? No. John D'Amico. John D'Amico, but it was, but he was the ref. And so he ends up being the guy who gets blamed for calling Cherry for too many men on the ice. <laughs> that becomes the scene for coach's corner for how many years? I asked and, Bobby about that. And he's, I said, what happened? He said, well, D'Amico made the call. Come out there. He said, you know, it was a little questionable when there was six, but then when they had seven out there, <laughs> I thought we should do something. By the way, before we get into the other thing, did you watch any of the Oscars last night? I did a little bit. I went up and watched a bit of the Steelers and Griffiths play and then um, went home and watched some of the Oscars. Yes, I did. I was really hoping that maybe some or one, I didn't see a ton of the movies. I was hoping that one or two of the ones I saw might actually win something. Of course they didn't. And everything I'm reading online today is that the movie that won everything, Everywhere, what, everywhere All at Once, whatever it's called, uh, everything I'm reading online today is this may be the worst movie ever made. I mean, I almost have to watch it now to yeah. see if it could possibly be as bad as what the social media is saying about it. So uh, when I got home, Sue was watching the Oscars and, uh, and it had just won a couple of awards. Mm -hmm. And she said, you weren't here, but I watched that movie. And? And she said, it's winning an awful lot of awards, 
like she was surprised it was winning an awful yep. lot of awards. Yep. So it's not one I'm going to watch. Now, you want to watch it to find out if it's that bad. We, I mean, a big Elvis fan because of my yep. age, I think, and we watched that, and I thought the the young fellow that did it was absolutely brilliant. I don't know if he's Oscar worthy. I'm not a movie critic, but he did a, a spectacular job being Elvis. Yeah, I like that one. I saw that one and Top Gun. I was hoping Top Gun. They won a couple like yeah, you know, like little ones for. I don't know, sound or something like that. But, but, but I think the, the, the two we just talked about are, are and I don't, I don't know the right terms, obviously, are more like commercial yeah. movies. They're not in-depth. It's not roots. It's not, you know, a lot of. Well, it's not. See, the problem is I think with a lot of the times now, the movies that win, it's almost like we want to give the one that wins. It's so elitist that you can't possibly watch it, which means it must be good. That seems to be, seems to be the answer. Anyway, I don't know. Which means I probably wouldn't be smart enough it, to well, get it. That's that's kind of the point. The, the one thing I did, we want to move on here. The one thing I did though, notice I saw, and I didn't see this by watching. I think I watched about twelve seconds of it yesterday. <laughs> I, I was flipping by. Um, there was a woman in the crowd that I saw a picture of afterwards, who showed up wearing. Oh, that white thing? The white thing. And I'm like, you know what? If I was sitting behind That's exactly her. exactly what Sue said. What are those people behind her thinking? I would have taken out my lighter and just burned it down. Because I've, I mean, either it's the first time I've ever won or been nominated so I get to go to the Oscars. Or I've somehow landed a ticket. And all I got in front of me is the, the you know, the super puffed, whatever, the, the stay puffed marshmallow creature from Ghostbusters. It was like, how... How could you possibly, in good conscience, show up knowing you were going to block everybody behind you? That's, it was, it would be pretty rude. You know what? I, I didn't see the intro and I, I didn't see hardly much of Jimmy Kimmel at all. I was really hoping he was going to go out with a hockey helmet and a mask on or a football helmet, just in case somebody wanted to go up and slap him. Yeah. I, I'm sure he must have addressed that. I didn't, uh. I didn't see it either. I didn't see it. Uh, March Madness. Starts this week, starts on Thursday, the NCAA basketball. There was a time, Don, when, back when I was in high school and university, a little bit after that, there was a time when there was nothing on the sports calendar, nothing that would have captured my interest more than March Madness. And I think part of it had to do with guys being at the same school for three or four years and you got to know them and you got to build the teams. I, I can tell you, I'll probably watch some of it as I'm flipping around this weekend and next and the week after. But I can't almost think of anything I'm less interested in now than March Madness, other than the potential drama and everything that naturally comes with it. Because I don't know, all these one and dones and guys who are in and out already, do you know anything about any of the teams? Do you know, could you name one person who plays for a U.S. college basketball team right now? No. And there's probably a couple kids from Southern Ontario that I. Oh, there's probably, work. there's probably a kid that if they said their name, you would say, oh yeah, I know that name. But to, to, to like once upon a time, you could say, oh, I, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, he yes. plays for Houston or Clyde Drexler, he plays for Houston, University of Houston or the Fab Five with Michigan or Danny Hurley with. Uh, Ron Foxcroft's refereeing some of Michael it. Jordan, you know, or James Worthy with North Carolina, all these ones. Now I find it really hard when there's no connection with these teams. Some of the, uh, it's, maybe it's a little bit like, uh, uh, Ron that wrote the book, the baseball umpire, Luciani. Um, is it Jerry Tar, uh, Jerry Tarkanian from UNLV. Yeah. From Vegas. Yep. Used to chew on the towels. Yep. yep. And, um, some of the special announcers they had 
And it was kind of go-to TV. And it wasn't just always the March Madness, but it's got, in my mind, far more vanilla than it ever has been before. And what, I'm going to tell you something, though. One of the things that's really changed in the last 20 years is the availability to watch whatever you want. And when you were in high school, there was no TSN, there was no Sportsnet, there were no all sports stations at all. And the excitement to, you could watch the leaps on Saturday night after Juliet. And then Wednesday on CHCH. <clears throat> and Wednesday on CHTV. And that was a big deal back then when Dick Beddows did that with Harold Ballard. And, uh, but there was so little sports. The March Madness was always on because the networks made it a big deal. And it, it may have got lost a little bit and got uh, watered down with all the other options. You can watch three hockey games a night if you're a hockey fan. You can watch basketball every night if you're a basketball fan. Yeah, I, I, I remember. So when you talk about, you know, that it wasn't just the March Madness, um, the Big East back in the 80s and 90s when Patrick Ewing was with Georgetown and Chris Mullins was with St. John's and and all those guys from Villanova and, and like, you would watch those. Like, the Big East tournament was as good as the March Madness was. Yeah. Now, again, it's, it's if guys don't stick around, imagine if the Leafs every year had a brand new lineup and the only guys who stuck around were the fourth liners for four years. But Austin Matthews, one year and out. Mitch Marner, one year and out. John Tavares, one year and out. Willie, T uh, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, one year Knee and Nylander. Nylander, thank you. Uh, I, I almost called him by a name of a guy that I used to play hockey with when I was nine. I almost called him Willie Tivoluk. I don't know. Willie, going on. Willie Tivoluk's likely too old to play for the Leafs. Yeah, now. he is now, for sure. Um, but if, if all those guys were here one year and gone, and the only guys who stuck around, as I say, were the fourth liners, you would go, well, that's not really that interesting anymore. Yeah. Without question, that happened, has happened because the, those guys used to be develop and become superstars in NCAA, and now they can kind of go to the NBA whenever sure. they want. The OHL, to it's almost a parallel, right? I mean, the kids are a little bit younger, but a parallel. You, you're going to play at least two or three years in the OHL if you're a superstar. I don't know how many years uh, Erie got out of McDay, but I think three. Yeah, because he started at 15. Yeah. And he would have got four if they let him start. Well, if they let him start at 10 when he probably could have. <laughs> yeah. But um, so at least you have some continuity there to speak to your point where if the guy's that good, like LeBron James went from high school to the NBA. So it's not like anybody got to see him play at all. No. Nope. But your point's well taken. Nobody left early. Nobody graduated early. It was... Really, you could be dominant, and now they, they've taken that away. So there's a lot of factors, but lots on TV hurts. Well, And a million channels. Yeah, no, I, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. And, and here's the thing. Um, March Madness still has the best tournament format of any tournament. Yeah. I mean, I love best four to seven in Stanley Cup playoffs. And you can argue that the NFL is the same, essentially, in playoffs as March Madness because it's one and out, but... March Madness with the one versus 16 and the, you know, and on and on. I just, it's still the best format of a tournament. It's still the most compelling format that you can possibly get. They can, they can sell the sweet 16. They can, you know, the final four and all that stuff. But it's like every sport. Sometimes the opening games are the best. Oh, absolutely. You're more apt to get an upset. Yep. 
you know, number 46, which is the 46, you know, beats number two and, and the country goes crazy. And then they get hammered the next game or they go on a run. Yeah. I'll tell you a very funny story. So the first year, I believe, I think it's a funny story. The first year, I believe, <laughs> that the NC tur- NCAA tournament, March Madness, was ever, that it ever came to Buffalo, Ron Foxcroft was one of the guys who helped to bring it there, as I understand. I didn't know about that at the time. Found out about it later. Anyway, um, but they weren't sure how many, how much interest, as I understand, there was going to be. So they had put you, they had bought an ad in the spectator. And it was a ballot that you could fill out with your credit card number and your, and you would send this ballot in with your credit card number. And if your number was drawn, they automatically withdrew the amount from your credit card and the tickets were on their way to your house. So you didn't really have a say after that. It wasn't like you could then say, I want them or not want them. You bought them. So I really wanted to go to the March Madness. And so I went down to the basement of the paper and I grabbed about 40 copies of the paper and I filled out 40 ballots thinking there's going to be millions of people applying. And I, anyway, I come home from work and my wife and I had been somewhat newly married and she is looking at me like, what is going on? She goes, what did you spend $1,400 on? And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, on our visa bill, it came and it's like some name that I'd never heard of before. And I had no idea what I'd spent this on. Well, it turns out that I'd won eight pairs of tickets to every single game (laughs) and it automatically charges your visa card. I had won eight pairs to all six games that were being played that weekend. That's the trick. You didn't win anything. You just bought them. I just, yeah. And so then it was all, how in the world do I get rid of these? (laughs) So thankfully there were people at the paper who were interested in going as well and bought them off me because I was, I was that close to sleeping in the couch on the couch forever until this got paid (laughs) off with cleaning dishes or something. (laughs) That is funny. Yeah. It was, um, it wasn't funny at the time. It's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. Um, the other, that, that, uh, the other thing was one of the pairs. So it turns out that the pair that I ended up keeping somehow was in the very, very, very last row (laughs) up at the top. Somehow the other ones were better. I got the, so I didn't even look. It was sold out then. Yeah, it was sold out. And, and anyway, so I had sold all these other ones and then I looked and I went, oh, shoot. So anyway, my buddy and I who had gone. We were walking around early the first game and, uh, this is at the Buffalo arena. Um, the odd, well, no, the, the new one that has had 19 different names and the game hasn't, the first game has just started and we're eh, not really interested in who's playing. So we're just wandering around early in the first quarter, push open a door, go down a flight of stairs and pop out another door. And suddenly we're in the club level in with the private boxes and they have a restaurant that's about. 80 feet from the floor, I think, felt like it anyway. And two guys just got up from the rail side table that they were sitting at. We were not even supposed to be here. We jumped in the table and we spent, the game started at noon and went till about 11 o'clock at night. We spent 10 hours nonstop ordering French fries and Cokes just to be able to keep our table because it was so much better than where we, I think our food bill was about 200 bucks that day, just in French fries. And we oh. both... We're jammed with, anyway, we've got good seats though. <laughs> I, I would never have asked you this question three months ago or so, because it would have seemed to be ludicrous to ask the question because Wayne Gretzky had a 215 point season in the NHL, but is Connor McDavid, is the season that he is having right now comparable 
to that season by Gretzky when you consider how much better goaltenders are now and just the state of the game, the fact that he's probably going to hit 150 or 160 points? Well, first of all, I don't think that question's fair to Borny Perrant and Chico Resch and a bunch of former NHL goalies, but I will tell you, the goaltending is far more athletic and the pads are super sized. Yeah, and the players are too. And the goalies are now 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, They're yeah. monsters, right? Donnie Edwards and those guys. Uh, so, But to, to address your question, I I think it compares um, to Gretzky's season because of scoring is down. Um, now, remember, Gretzky did that back when there was like only 21 teams which is really Jim Ralph's line as to why he didn't play in the NHL. But, uh, you know, there's 32 teams now, and we do pool the players from from all over the world. So, But he played with some Europeans. Yeah, I think it's worthy of the conversation. and But I think people are fearful, and I'm not, of uh, saying, well, he's Gretzky. Well, but but you didn't ask me that. You asked me to compare this season against the 212-point season. And I think that year, Gretzky, to put it into perspective, if I recall, if you took his 92 goals away, he still had more points than everybody else combined with goals and assists. So when you put it in that perspective, McDavid isn't doing that. He's running away with a scoring championship, yes. But when Gretzky had more assists than everybody else had in points— Put that into perspective. So if you compare that, I don't think he is. He's having a phenomenal uh, season. And another thing people don't like doing when when they're asked questions like that, I'm too dumb to care. I can babble on. But the the truth of it is um, people think that you're comparing the body of work. And if you just answer the specific question, is it comparable to this year versus any other year. Yeah, it's a really good conversation to have. Let's see if he can do it for 10 years in a row. But that's not the question. I mean, is he compared to Wayne Gretzky yet? Uh, He's he's getting there, but Gretzky did it when he was, uh, Gretzky led the NHL in scoring when he was seven years old. Yeah, and the one thing, the one difference, and I, I, I may not use the word best, I may say Connor McDavid's season is in the discussion for most impressive seasons ever because I think it really is. Some of the stuff that he's doing is unbelievable. Uh, the, the one difference, and this is the only way to me that you can ever compare players, mm-hmm. is what did they do against their opponents at the time? What was the gap between them and the next guy? And Connor McDavid right now, I believe, is 29 points ahead of second place. Very likely he could finish 40 points ahead, let's say. Yep. Uh, Wayne Gretzky finished 70 points ahead of number two, who was Mario Lemieux. So, um, and that was a year that Lemieux played all, every game but one. So it wasn't one of his years where he was, where he was sick. And I mean, next, Paul Coffey, Yerry Curry, Mike Bossy, Peter Stastny, Denny Savard, Mats Naslin, Dale Howarchuk are the next guys in the top 10. And he was miles ahead of all those guys. Th- that, to me, is the difference maker. Well, so that wasn't the year he got 92 goals. That No, that was the year that he got uh, 52 goals. He got and 163 assists. But his, his, so that year, his assists, he got 22 more assists than anyone else had points, and his goals were all a freebie. That's, that was the point I was making. Yeah. I thought it was the year he had 92. Yeah, yeah. So, but, that is, but that's insane. So that's why I say when you put it in that perspective, 
No one's going to do that. And McDavid hasn't done that. But it's been so long in the National Hockey League when anybody's had that big a gap in the scoring. Yeah. And, you know, it's a great conversation to have. It's a lot better than saying goals are down and nobody can score. I mean, it's a fun conversation and there's probably no right answer. My, my answer is probably right. I think it's right. But it's, it's as I say, the uh, to me, the only way you can compare, you can't compare Babe Ruth to Albert Pujols, but you can compare Babe Ruth to who he was playing against at the time and how much better was he than the contemporaries. And we've talked about this because it's easy to talk. Eras, right? Bobby Orr was the best player in the world in his era. So was Howe. So was Gretzky. Probably Lemieux in his era, right? But it all changes and it all shifts around a little bit and you have to have the perspective to be able to talk about it. But it's a nice conversation to be able to have versus going, just complaining about nobody scoring any goals. And, well, and one more thing. The other thing, a lot of people say now, well, if Wayne Gretzky played today, he'd never get the same number of points. Keep in mind, many of the things that guys do today were things that Wayne Gretzky invented. And so, you know, had Wayne Gretzky not come along... I don't know. I, would would they be, still be doing all the things they're doing? W maybe. Maybe somebody else would have come up with those things. I don't know. Well, guys have said to me, well, Gretzky operated from behind the net. That's why he got so many points. And I say, well, how come nobody else has done it? Well, that's the thing. Someone says. Like no one has been able to do what Wayne Gretzky did. The other thing, and we, you and I have had this conversation, Wayne Gretzky did, is he made everybody around him yep. better. Yep. And he, like Dave Semenko was, a, I believe, a 30-goal scorer. It's why, it's why to this day, we got to run, it's why to this day I still say that if I had to pick my best NBA player of all time, switching sports, it's not Michael Jordan, it's Magic Johnson. Because every guy on Magic Johnson's team was an all-star because he made them an all-star. Yep. Anyway, Don, appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.